You are listening to the Women Offshore Podcast. I'm Christine McMillan, filling in for Ali Cedeno while she is on maternity leave. I'm an experienced manager and the program coordinator here at Women Offshore. Women Offshore is a 501c3 nonprofit organization supporting a diverse workforce on the water. New episodes of the Women Offshore podcasts are available every Tuesday. Subscribe on whatever platform you like to listen to podcasts on and be in the know about the latest topics related to diversity, equity, and inclusion within the maritime and offshore industries. Be inspired by the stories shared here. Thank you to the OGGN for their continuous support as our podcast producer. They have the best energy shows on their network. Lee Lewis is a children's writer whose middle grade debut, Pirate Queens, Dauntless Women Who Dare to Rule the High Seas, spotlights six fierce female pirates, telling each of their stories in verse. Lee's adventures on the high seas have enabled her to call many places home, including Turkey, Greece, England, Japan, and Russia. She eventually navigated her way back to her hometown of Columbus, Ohio. Lee spends her time there dreaming up stories for kids of all ages, buoyed by an amazing crew of three swashbuckling kids. I have Lee with me today. Hi, Lee. Thank you so much for having me. I was thrilled to learn about women offshore. I had never heard of that before, and I think it's just very, very cool. So I'm very excited to be a part of this. Yes, we love to elevate the female perspective in the maritime industry. And you kind of share that same passion of... You're speaking my language. (laughs) I love the beginning story in your book where you talk about your kids walking the plank at the pool. That was kind of your first aha moment, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Actually, kind of before that happened, I was on a website in 2016 called Women You Should Know. And they highlight different very cool women in history and women that are alive today and just love the website. And one day up popped an article about Ching Shi, the most powerful pirate who ever lived. And I was like, what do you mean the most powerful pirate who ever lived? I never heard of them. And then I was like, oh, wait, it's got to be a woman because it's on women you should know. And so then I started reading about Ching Shi and I just thought it was so fascinating that literally the most successful pirate who ever lived, she ruled over 80,000 people. And just for perspective, Blackbeard ruled over 400. Ching Shi was not a household name. You know, I just thought that was crazy. You know, I kind of live at the library anyway, but I did what I normally do when I get an idea. And I ran to the library to say, okay, what do you have? Show me what you got. And there just was not much. There were a couple of small mentions of Ching Shi kind of footnotes, but there was no picture book at that time about Ching Shi. There was no standalone middle grade at that time. And so I thought, I really should write Ching Shi's story. I always have a lot of stories going around in my mind. I'm always working on a few different things. And you know, I tried to write her story in prose. It just wasn't coming out the way that I wanted it to. And so I, you know, I kind of let it sit. And then one day, as you said, I was at the pool with my three kids and they were on the diving board, just forcing each other to walk the plank and kind of yelling out in pirate speak. So I thought of Ching Shi, of course, and they got off and I said, hey, can you guys name any pirates? And they named a handful of pirates. They named Blackbeard, they named Jack Sparrow, Captain Hook. And mm-hmm. I said, can you name any female pirates? And they were like, were there female pirates? <laughs> and I thought, oh, man, I really have to work on this. Somebody needs to know. My kids don't know the story. And I don't know the story of you know women at sea. Then somebody should really be telling this story. And so that night, I was 
laying in bed and I was thinking about how I could write the story and how I had been unsuccessful in figuring out the right way to write the narrative. And I thought, Ching Shi, the pirate queen, was ruler of the sea. She brought enemies, emperors, and dynasties to their knees. And I thought, that's, yeah, that's it. I'm going to write it in poetry. I'm going to write a story. I'm going to write a poem about Ching Shi to tell her story. Wow. And so I did. And so I did, and I submitted it to my agent, and she loved it. In our mind, it was going to be this gorgeous picture book that could be for kids and adults. And she submitted it to my dream publisher, National Geographic, and they absolutely loved it. And my editor there had the brilliant idea to turn it into a collection and move it up an age. So instead of being a picture book, for it to be a middle grade book. Okay. And so that's what we did. She asked me if I would write a number of other pirates. And I asked if I could write each in a different verse form, uh-huh. different type of poetry. And she said yes. And that's how Pirate Queens was born. What an amazing story. How cool. So you just had to do tons of research about these women, huh? That's right. I did. I do not have a maritime background. You know, we had a little two-person sailboat when I was a kid, so that's about the extent of my knowledge. (laughs) (laughs) I've lived in many different places in the U.S. and abroad, most of which have been on water. And, you know, I lived in Istanbul for years and, you know, huge trading port. And I lived in Boston for years. You know, I'm so intrigued by this idea of how much happens at sea that's not visible to so many of us and how much work is done there. And then add in the idea of piracy to that Mm. and how much is done at sea under kind of nefarious conditions. I'm hooked. That's definitely the kind of thing that really intrigues me. So how were you able to do research on these women? And can you tell us some of the stories that really inspired you? Sure. That's a great question because in all areas of life, women are left out of the history books in many, many cases. And pirate lore is certainly no exception. Like I said, the fact that Ching Shi's not a household name and Blackbeard is, is criminal. There have been thousands, maybe tens of thousands of books written on male pirates, and there are just a handful on female pirates. Finding primary sources that actually happened, took place at the time that these women were alive is really difficult. And I think there's a number of reasons for that, including, again, that happens in all industries that men tend to write the history books and they tend to cut women's work out of it. And they tend to take credit for it in many cases and don't see the work that women have done as important. And in such a macho industry as piracy, you can imagine no one was very quick to be like, yeah, this female captain came over and took us over. And, you know, it just was not. <laughs> of course <done>. not. <laughs> So some of the records that I was able to find, the primary sources, were really fascinating. So Ching Shi, the inspiration for this book, and one of the pirates in there, she lived in the early 1800s in the South China Seas is where she ruled. And at some point, she took an Englishman named Richard Glasspool captive. And Richard Glasspool was captive on her ships. It was called the Red Flag Fleet. She ruled over 1,800 ships. Wow. But he was on a couple of them and he kept meticulous journals during that time. And so because of him, we actually know a lot about Ching Shi and about the way that she ran her ships and a way about the rules that she put in place. So because of that, we have a firsthand account of everything that took place on the ships. Wow. So that's one example. Another is with Grace O'Malley. She was an Irish woman and she ruled in the 1500s. So I, Grace O'Malley's great. She's just this wild child. As a little girl, 
she really wanted to go to pirate with her dad, who was an Irish chief. And she wanted to go out, but she had long red hair. And her dad was just looking for any excuse not to let a girl go on the boat with him. Mm-hmm. So he kind of looked her up and down. He looked at her long red hair and he said, you can't go because your hair, your hair is going to get caught in the ropes. So that's why you can't go with us. And Grace O'Malley was about eight years old, walked away, took an old knife, hacked off of all of her hair mm. and came back and said, okay, I'm ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> forced her dad's hand and he let her go with him. And for the rest of her life, even when her hair grew out, she was called Grace the Bald because of that act that happened when she was eight years old. How funny. But Grace O'Malley, one of the things that she's known for is that she was considered herself to be an Irish queen. And she had a long run of stealing from the English and battling it out with them. She was kind of down and out at this point. One of her sons had been captured. Another one had been killed. Queen Elizabeth had sent her sea dog to chase down Grace O'Malley. So she was constantly on the run. She was out of money. And she ended up writing to Queen Elizabeth and asking for a meeting. And Queen Elizabeth wrote back and said, you have to answer these questions. And those questions are called the Articles of Interrogatory. And there are literally 18 questions that had to be answered before anyone would be granted an audience with the queen. And we actually can see those questions being answered by Grace O'Malley in Grace O'Malley's handwriting. They still exist today. Holy cow. And so we're able to see how clever she was in her answers that enabled Queen Elizabeth to say, yes, you're worthy of being granted a meeting with me. And she did. They met. And this is kind of a great story. At some point, Grace O'Malley was not humbling herself and bowing down. She was carrying herself like the queen she believed herself to be. She believed she and Queen Elizabeth were equals and that England had no reason to be ruling over any of Ireland. And so she presented herself that way. And she walked into this meeting and all of these ladies in waiting who are supporting Queen Elizabeth are there and they're very prim and proper. And Grace O'Malley's a pirate, so she's not. (laughs) And so at some point, Grace O'Malley sneezed. And one of the ladies in waiting gave her this kind of fancy handkerchief. And Grace O'Malley blew her nose into it and then threw it into the fireplace. (gasps) And all of the women were like, oh, right? Like, how dare you throw such an expensive handkerchief into the fire? And Grace O'Malley said, well, in Ireland, we all know that once you've blown your nose into something, it's garbage. We understand what real manners are. You English don't understand what's happening there. How funny. Uh, Yeah. So because of the articles of interrogatory, we can see what it was that granted her that meeting. There's one other example I can tell you about in terms of where my research came from. In 420 AD, so this is way back in Norway, there was a woman named Stella and her brother, Collar became the ruler. That was the equivalent of the king, although they weren't called kings at that point. So just like with Viking history, Mm -hmm. Viking times are considered prehistoric because people didn't really keep written records during that day. Wow! And so what we know about Vikings comes way after the fact from what's been handed down and handed down and handed down. And then sometimes somebody recorded it. This is the same with Stella. It wasn't exactly Viking time, but during that part of the world, during that time, this is prehistory. And so, as you might imagine, there are not very many stories about women that get handed down. Again, women's importance was seen as much less than men. And so what was recorded in the books was something about men 
that had stood through 300 years of storytelling, been passed down from generation to generation. Stella made it into the books. And so Stella's brother, Collar, became the ruler of Norway. And Stella was just incensed about it. She hated her brother. Instead of deciding to just stay home and be a figurehead and be a princess, she ended up becoming a pirate. So she took to the seas and it was very lucrative and she was really good at it. And her brother Collar ended up seeing how successful she was at at that. And he too decided to, in addition to being the ruler, decided to take to the seas to pirate. Oh, how funny. And she was so angry with him that she chased him down (laughs) with the intent of killing him. Mm -hmm. And when she came upon him, he was already in battle with somebody named Horwindil. And Horwindil chopped off Collar's leg and killed him instantly. And Sela tried to escape and he killed her as well. There is some sweet revenge there, though, because Horwindil's brother, a little bit later, killed him so that he could become the ruler of Norway. So it was all very much murder and chasing and death and the threat of being taken over. Anyway, all that to say, the reason that we know so much about that is because Saxo Grammaticus recorded this giant account of 16 books called Gesta Danorum. He was a Danish historian, and he collected all of this information and all of these stories from the past 500 years from that region, during which time there was very, very little that was actually recorded. And so this is hundreds of years later, Stella makes it into one of these 16 books, and that's the reason that we know about her. So my goal with all of this was always to try to find the primary sources that existed at the time or as close to them as they could be. But it's not always possible, especially where women are concerned. Yeah. You know, what I find interesting is today's rendition of Viking history that you can see in, you know, like how to train your dragon, for example, Right. men and women are shown as equals in that rendition of it, but that might not have always been the case. Well, it's certainly not the case in history books for the most part. In history books, when you look, you know, even when they say a couple years ago, I remember making the news again that they found a burial site and they believe it to be Viking women. And, you know, immediately it was all of these historians saying, no, no, no such thing. There were no women at battle. That's myth. That's not, you know, just questioning whether or not women were involved at all, which, you know, it just seems so patently ridiculous to think that they weren't involved. There's a lot of people that are still questioning that. Interesting. So cool. Yeah. I mean, you've done a ton of research to find this. And do you have a favorite pirate that you've run across? Um, can I pick two? Okay. Can I pick two? So I would say one has to be Ching Shi. Again, she was the inspiration for this book. And, you know, I'll just tell you a little about her life and kind of the choices that she made and how fascinating it all is. So Ching Shi was a prostitute on a floating brothel. And a pirate captain boarded the ship, fell in love with Ching Shi, whatever that means. He was really attracted to Ching Shi. And he proposed marriage. And instead of just being like, oh, yes, and you know, I'm sure he was terrifying, she said, Well, I will, but only under certain conditions. The main one being that you and I are exact equals in everything. I mean, imagine that. She's a prostitute, mm-hmm. and he's this powerful, violent pirate king. And he proposes marriage. And she says, yeah, but only if we split it 50-50, power and all. Wow. And he agrees to that. 
And so they together build the red flag fleet. But all the while, he is preparing for his future. And the future at that point was to pass on your piracy legacy to a boy, a male. Mm. And so he, Ching Shi's husband, was sleeping with a man, an adult man. Okay. And he decided that he would adopt him as his adult son so that he could pass on the red flag fleet to him. Wow. So he did that. So all that was put into place. He adopted him formally. And then at some point, he was tossed off the boat in a tsunami. And so that left Ching Shi and the adopted son. Wow. And Ching Shi goes to the adopted son and seduces him and convinces him that she should be the lead and he should be her muscle. Okay. And he agrees. And Ching Shi took over the Red Flag Fleet and continued to grow it into the largest pirating empire that has ever existed. Wow. So there's all of that. And then we know from Richard Glasspool that what she did was really revolutionary at the time in terms of her feminist code. As you might have imagined, women who were captured and brought onto ships were treated horribly. I can there was imagine. lots of rape, there was murder, it was very much like property, they would sell the women to be slaves, on and on and on, horrible conditions. Ching Shi's policy for her entire 80,000 people that were under her rule was, if we capture a woman, you have two choices. You can marry her and be monogamous and stay with her for the rest of your life, or we let her go free. Those are the only two choices. And anyone, anyone, who crosses me on that? Anyone who doesn't follow those two rules, beheaded. Wow. I mean, just really incredible for the time to not only be the female ruler, but also to put in place such a code that would protect women in that way and give up such a lucrative source of income, frankly, yeah. at that time. Yeah. I love that whole piece of Ching Shi and the idea that she was not only willing to figure out a way to rule over all of this, despite all circumstances pushing her in the other direction, but also that she was like, yep, and how do I look out for the women while I'm doing it? Very cool. So then that was Ching Shi. And actually, at the end of that, she ended up seeing that the writing was on the wall. Other countries were really frustrated by how much power she had. Mm -hmm. And so she knew that at some point they would band together and come for her. So she went in and negotiated a pardon. And she got it. And part of her negotiation was that she and her people got to keep everything that they had stolen. Oh, wow. <laughs> She ended up walking away and living to the age of, they think, 84, and went off into a smaller town and started a brothel and lived to a ripe old age of happiness with all of her money. Wow. So that's Ching Shi. And then the other one is Grace O'Malley. And I mentioned a little about Grace the Bald, and that's very typical of her. Like, There's just a million Grace O'Malley stories. Like, At some point, there was an eagle that attacked her sheep when she was at home in Ireland. And she ran up to scare the eagle away and it scratched her forehead. And she ended up having a Harry Potter scar on her forehead for the rest of her life. But Grace O'Malley, she decided at some point when she was at sea, she was pregnant. And instead of going back to her vast family land in Ireland, she wanted to stay at sea and be a pirate. And so she was through the whole time. She stayed a pirate and gave birth below deck. And hours after she gave birth, they were attacked by Turkish pirates. Whoa. And 
her Grace's crew is yelling down to her, Grace, come up and help, come up and help. And so Grace just has a baby, has to set the baby down, take up arms and go up and fight. Allegedly, what she said to her crew, because she was so irate that they couldn't just leave her alone, <laughs> something to the effect of, may your lives be seven times worse this time next year that you couldn't do without me for just one day. <laughs> and basically what she's saying is like, God, do I have to do everything? And, you know, it's just so relatable of having just given birth and feeling like there's any obligation at all. Like, can't somebody else just do it? So, uh, you know, I just love the idea of that, the boldness to write to Queen Elizabeth and do it so well and so eloquently that you're actually granted an audience and she actually allows you to go free. Really, I just think it's incredible. So I love Ching Shi and Grace O'Malley stories. And it seems like they have so many lessons that we can learn from them along the way. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So it's really yeah. neat. I don't know if you have any advice that you want to give to, of course, none of us are pirating these days, but just females that are going to see and trying oh, to make their living. I'm sure they could be giving me tons of advice. I mean, I'm so impressed by all of it and by choosing a lifestyle that I'm sure today must still have some adversity involved, right? There just must be some gender dynamics at play that are not very favorable to women in such admiration of women who are choosing to do that. To me, it feels from the safety of my seat as I sit here and write stories, like you're fighting the good fight on behalf of all of us. And so I so appreciate that. But you know, when I look at these women, I guess the question is, what lessons do they teach to me? Mm -hmm. And I think there's a number of them. I think tricky situations call for creative solutions. Mm. And Ching Shi is certainly the master of that. You know, never let status quo stand in your way. If any of these women had done what, what was expected of them at the time, they certainly would never have stepped foot on a boat. Mm -hmm. I'm curious. One of the themes that comes up over and over again in pirate books is this idea that women at sea were considered bad luck on a ship. Yeah. Is that still, have you heard that modern day? Is there anybody who still believes that? Yep, I've had that told to me that somebody didn't want me on board because I was bad luck. Oh, jeez, can you imagine today that happening, that it's still happening? Mm -hmm. The origins of that are this idea that women are going to anger the sea gods. Wow. So that's, that's, where the that's where the origin of that was. I always have wondered whether or not that was really the origin or whether it was just some savvy captain who spread the word that that was the case. And because mm -hmm. it had religious undertones, it, you know, it took off, it took off like fire, like hot fire, or whether just some captain realized, hey, if there's this many relationships involved, if there's pregnancy, like any of it, that it's going to be bad for business. And so if they, I just, I just always wonder, did they really believe it? Or was it just something that was planted as kind of a marketing ploy to, <laughs> to, <laughs> to keep the captains running the ship the way that they wanted to. Right. I, I don't know. Because they knew that if a woman got on board, she was going to become the leader pretty quickly. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I love that take. That's a great take. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then I also think I'm a writer. I love a good come up in story. And so at some point, I just love the idea of really showing what you're capable of when people's expectations are so low of you simply because of your gender. Mm -hmm. And I feel like these women just personified that. They just blew every expectation out of the water. 
Anne Bonny is probably the most famous pirate in the US that's in my book. And she's probably the most famous female pirate in general. Anne Bonny's story, just real quick. She was kind of a ruffian. She was always a fighter. She stabbed a servant boy when she was young and burned <laughs> her dad's plantation down and ran away to marry a pirate and on and on. And because women weren't allowed on ships, she dressed like a man to go onto the ship, even though she was with the captain. Okay. Okay. So he knew, but nobody else did. Okay. Because she was dressed up like a man. So she gets on this ship a couple months in. Jack, her husband, is jealous because she's befriended this pirate, Mark Reed. So he confronts her. And it turns out Mark Reed is Mary Reed, another woman dressed like a man who wanted to be a pirate. So there's two women on the same ship who both wanted to be pirates. And the way that they were able to do that was to pass themselves off as men. Now, of course, there may be more to the story, right? They may have been trans. They may have, like, who knows what the real situation was, what the real driver was. but for whatever reason, whatever motivation it was, they wanted to be pirates and they had to be dressed like men to mm-hmm. do so. So anyway, they fought together very happily. They were very happy, very violent, happy to be doing the fighting, hand-to-hand combat. And at some point, they had had a very successful raid and all of the men got just wasted drunk and passed out below deck. And Anne and Bonnie were up top and they got attacked by other pirates. So they fought and fought. And actually, Anne even shot a gun down into the hole to try to wake the men up, but they were all passed out. And so they got captured. And then those pirates turned them in for ransom money. So they all went to trial and they were sentenced to die, all of them. And Anne and Mary, both coincidentally, were pregnant. And so they ended up what you'd call pleading the belly, saying, we're pregnant. Could you please let us go? And they were allowed to leave. Oh, wow. And so they were both set free because they were pregnant. So, you know, you think the typical person would get away like, okay, free, out of here, and just bolt as quickly as they could. Right. But Anne Bonnie had a vindictive bone in her body, had a vindictive bone that I can't help but respect a little bit. I just can't. (laughs) (laughs) So she asked to have one last word with her husband, Jack. So they took her down to the gallows. And she leaned in and said, had you fought like a man, you need not be hanged like a dog. And she walked away and left him there and he was put to death and she disappeared and was never heard from again. Wow. So, you know, I have to say at some point, I'm not saying that you should wait until men are in chains and then go up to spit your vindictive statement at them. (laughs) But I do think that there's something gratifying about showing people who don't believe that you could do as much what you can do and what you're capable of. I like the idea of making a mark and being able to model for other people who come next that it can be done and that can be done well. And I think that's what so many of the women in Women Offshore are doing. And I think that's really, really cool. Yeah. And I think to your point about having to dress as a man to get on board, We've had that advice given to us. Just act like the guys. Just blend in. Just try and fit in. And we're trying to change that narrative now to say, bring your authentic self to work and show up as who you are and be proud of it. And don't let anyone tell you to do otherwise. And so we're really trying to change the way that we're mentoring young ladies going to see to show up and to be there. 
I think that's great. And, you know, I mean, you can think about that in so many other areas of business and politics where we've kind of been through that, right? It was mm-hmm. like this idea when I was coming up in business, it was like you had to be tough like the guys. and You had to act like you were the male boss and all of that. And that masculine energy was really prized. And mm-hmm. that masculine approach was really the sole one that was seen as being valuable. And so women tried to ascribe to that. And in doing so, had to kind of tuck themselves away in a lot of ways, instead of celebrating feminine energy or a different approach or whatever it may be, a collaborative approach or a softer approach or a creative approach. It doesn't have to be hard versus soft, but just the idea that we were kind of told in business, kind of like what you're saying, hey, if you want to get promoted to the next level, the way that you do that is look at what the men are doing and do that same thing. And I was always like, yeah, I don't like how the men are doing it a lot of (laughs) Certainly not all the time, but you know, there were certainly many times that that was the case. So I so appreciate that you're trying to change the ways for the future so that people can be their authentic selves and go out and do a kick-ass job. Yeah, we're trying. Yeah. If anyone wants to reach out to you or find your book, where can they do that? Yeah. The easiest way is my website, leelewisbooks.com, L-E-I-G-H-L-E-W-I-S-books.com. And yeah, I'd love to hear from you. Reach out to me. Say hi. I would love to connect with the women in this group. I think it's really admirable what you're doing. So, Your story is so inspiring. I love your artwork as well. Can I just talk about the artwork? I'm sorry. I never talk about the artwork. Yeah, tell us. So the way, I don't know if people know this, the way it works with illustrated books is that the author doesn't typically have any say in who the illustrator is. Oh my gosh. And so once you write a book, you sell it to a publisher, then you are kind of cut out of the conversation and they go off and find the illustrator they believe will best bring the book to life. So you just kind of sit and bite your nails. Yeah, that has to be really scary. It is. It is scary. And, you know, my editor and I talked about how we wanted this to be dark and we wanted it to be gritty. And I was really terrified that it was going to be this Disney princess version of female pirates. And I really (laughs) did not want that. And she didn't want that either. Anyway. They ended up coming back to me with copies, the first pages by Sarah Gomez Woolley, this just incredible artist who lives in New York City. And I love it. I love the cover. I love the artwork throughout. Sarah was just so diligent about doing her research to make sure that everything was historically accurate. And yeah, it's just a beautiful book. I'm so proud of it. And it would not be what it is had Sarah not made her mark with the illustration. So thank you for mentioning that. Yes. And do you have any other books that you're working on right now? Oh, I always have books I'm working on right now. I'd love to see this as a series, highlighting little known women. We'll see whether or not that happens. But that's my real hope is that we end up doing a series that we can pick different groups. And I've got all kinds of groups of women that I would love to pick out some little known heroes in that area and highlight their stories. That's the hope. Very cool. Very cool. Well, I am excited to buy more copies of your book and share it with my friends as gifts. I think it's a beautiful book to give as a gift. That's actually how we originally got connected was, you know, Allie received this book for her baby. Awesome. um, Start him young. I love it. Start him with the pirates young. (laughs) Yes. Yes. That way when Michaela's walking the plank with her friends in the future, she'll be able to know female pirate names. I love it. That's great. I love it. Thank you so much for your time, Lee. I really enjoyed our time together. Thank you, Christine. Me too. Take care. 
Thanks for tuning in to the Women Offshore podcast. What did you think of the show? Leave a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. Additionally, if you want to propel Women Offshore forward, please visit womenoffshore.org or womenoffshore.shop. Make a donation or purchase some swag. Until next time, stay safe out there and I'll talk to you soon.